0: As we begin, uh, as we continue on in our sermon series, just taking a look at what we believe as a church family, let me pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for who you are. Lord, we thank you for the blessing it is to be able to gather and to hear each other sing and to proclaim your good news uh, to one another. Lord, but we also thank you for things like technology that allow us to watch and Lord, we just pray that in all things that you would be glorified, that you would be honored, that your name would be lifted up high, that we would decrease and that you would increase. So Lord, as we continue to worship you, I pray that indeed we would do that in spirit and in truth. But as we continue to worship you through the hearing of your word being preached, God, I pray that you indeed would use this to glorify your name. God, there is no way that I can do this on my own. There's no amount of gifting or talent that can. So Lord, by your Spirit, would you make this not turn out well. By your Spirit, Lord, help me to preach this sermon with what is needed. Use this sermon to bring glory to your name, joy to your people, and salvation to the lost. And amen. As we continue on in our series on what do we believe, we're actually taking a time to look at two things, but there really are one thing called an ordinance, but we're going to be taking a look at communion and baptism. And what does the say about them? Why does it matter to us? Why do we even have a statement on that? Don't all people believe these things? The answer is short is no. Um, but we're coming together to do that. What do we believe about baptism communion? I remember as a kid um, very much like some of our young people and sitting in the pew and being upset with my parents because my parents wouldn't let me take part in communion. I was like, everyone else gets to do it. Why, why am I not? Right? It, the juice, I like juice. Crackers, they're okay. Why, why don't I get to do that? And I was quite upset about it, and, and I was for a long time. But it was an opportunity for my parents to sit down and to talk to me about what it was all about. Why does it matter? Why is it important? Why do we do communion? Because I don't think we pause a lot, right? I think a lot of times we kind of go through the emotions and maybe if it's new to you, you maybe have that opportunity to think it through. But if you've been in the church for a while, if you've been attending at church for, I don't know, since you were born, right? I'm pretty sure I was at church the Sunday I was born. Um, And I praise God for those opportunities and godly parents. We kind of lose the meaning and the depth of those things. So let's take some time to talk about it. Let's take some time to see what the Bible has to say about what we believe. In our statement of faith, which I'll pop up there, it says this, we believe that there are only two ordinances for the church regularly observed in the New Testament in the following order. It says this, that baptism, which is the immersion of the believer in water, whereby they obey Christ's command and sets forth their identification with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection, and Lord's Supper, or communion, which is the memorial wherein the believer partakes of the two elements, bread and wine, we do juice, which symbolize the Lord's body and shed blood, proclaiming his death until he comes. We have this written in our statement of faith. But what does it all mean? What's the big deal about it? So, join with me as we walk through what an ordinance is, as we look at what baptism and communion are. And let me ask you this first question Do you guys know what an ordinance is? An ordinance are signs, is, are signs and signifiers, and sometimes even seals of grace that has already been received. So, when we come and we partake in these ordinances, of which we have two baptism and communion, we are thinking back of the grace that God has so lavishly poured out upon us. That is what we're doing. But there are commandments. Our ordinances are commandments. Jesus has told us to do them, therefore we do them. Right? But how often do we think of things just as commands? And then they kind of become dry and boring and we miss all the meaning. I'm just coming up to this table just because the pastor's telling me to stand up and walk up here. Or because the pastor told me to get baptized, therefore I'm going to get baptized. There's more to it. And it all comes in as we reflect upon what grace God has poured out on us through his son Jesus Christ as we take part in those two things. Because both are signs and signifiers. The main things that determine what an ordinance are, they must be instituted by Christ. Not a church, not a pope, not some sort of guy, but Christ. They were taught by the apostles, and the third one is is that they were practiced by the early church. And we believe that baptism, communion, or the Lord's Table are those two ordinances for us to do. And let me be clear that none of these... None of them is a requirement for salvation. Again, they are an outcome. They they are a a reminder for us of the grace that has already been received. The Bible tells us about two ordinances. It talks about baptism in Matthew 28, right? In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, uh, Jesus comes along and says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. But the Bible also talks about communion. We see this in Luke twenty-two nineteen, where Jesus says this, and he took bread, and when he had given things, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. But are they just commands? Do we just do them because Jesus tells us to do? And Well, the short answer is you should. If Jesus tells you to do something, if Jesus tells you to jump, if he is, if he is your Lord and Savior, the next question should be, how high, Jesus? But do we do these things just because they're commands? No, because there's something called means of grace. And baptism and communion are not only commandments by Jesus, but they are a means by which we experience these means of grace. And what do I mean by a means of grace? Can we agree that all the blessings we experience in this life are ultimately undeserved? All of them. You know, there's this thing, you know, hashtag first world problem, right? Because people in the first world complain about things all the time. But everything we have is a blessing from God. It is undeserved. They are all grace. But there's something unique about the fellowship of the church that God uses to give even more grace the thing that is mind-blowing to me is that not only am I saved by grace and God has poured out his salvation upon me, but he has initiated these commandments and other things called means of grace to give even more grace. Our God is so good. And as we gather together, we are experiencing those means of grace. And that is amazing for us. When we're having fellowship with the church, we are experiencing more of God's grace. The other day I was talking to someone, this is maybe a couple weeks ago. The individual doesn't know I'm going to use this story, so I apologize. Um, It's not embarrassing, though. But they were talking about and dwelling upon the fact that they were hearing people sing. And how that reminded them of just a sliver of what they will get to experience when they are in the presence of God Almighty when they die. And that feeling that comes, that is a means of grace. That is a blessing that God is using in the gathering of the singing. That, is what, that feeling you're feeling is a, is a means of grace. It's a beautiful blessing that God has given us. A means of grace are any activity within the fellowship of the church that God uses to give more grace to Christians. Traditionally, Christians usually have three things that they call the means of grace. They talk about the preaching of the word. And the two ordinances of baptism and communion. But there is so much more. Every type of fellowship. Think about what it feels like as you're terrified to your bones about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ to someone. You think of that feeling that comes up. As you're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and you're remembering to yourself, you're reminding yourself as you're saying to that individual of all that God has done for you through his son Jesus Christ and how the feeling of joy begins to well, and it begins to overflow. Think about that fellowship time you have with brothers and sisters in the Lord as you're talking about things of God, and you're laughing together, and you're having a legitimately good time, and you're praying with one another. That's a means of grace. Yes, I can argue that potlucks are a means of grace. (laughs) Amen, right? As long as it's more than just the food. It's not about the food, it's about the fellowship that comes from it, right? We use it as a catalyst for the fellowship, by the way, as good as a potluck is. But it is the fellowship of the believers together that is a means of grace. But God uses these commandments, these ordinances of baptism and communion as well as that. They're all used by the Holy Spirit to bring various kinds of blessings to us. But today we're going to be looking at the two. Those two means of grace that are commanded by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, those two ordinances, baptism and communion. So, what do we believe about them? Now that we kind of have an understanding of what an ordinance is, what about baptism? See, in short, baptism is a rite meant to signify an authentic spiritual change that has already taken place. We baptize people based upon a profession of faith, a believable profession of faith. That's why we meet with people before we do it. That's why we teach a uh, a baptism class, so that those who are being baptized have a clear understanding of what the Bible says, and that they understand and articulate what the gospel is. Because if you have to repent and believe, what are you believing in if you don't understand what it is? But it is this rite meant to signify an authentic spiritual change that has already taken place. A person is immersed in water and brought back up again to show that they are a Christian now. The act symbolizes several aspects of our conversion. But first, it talks about the spiritual change that has already happened within you. And it's a beautiful, beautiful picture. For the record, I love baptisms. I think they're like the best thing about being a pastor. You get to hear <clears throat> all of what God has done in someone's life as you're meeting with them throughout this time. And then, them, and then you get to see them take that step of obedience. 90% of the time, they're terrified. And every single time, right? Well, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I know. Right? But every time you're saying, everybody who's looking at you, They're, all the ladies are crying, right? They're happy, they're joyful because they're not, they're witnessing the story, the testimony of what God has done in your life, but also they're remembering what God has done in their own lives. You see the means of grace coming through in this commandment. We have to understand what the Bible teaches so it helps us understand why it's so important. I think it's important to ask these questions, why does the church baptize people? Why? Why do we do this weird thing where we fill up a tank and we dunk people? Like, isn't that abuse? And we'll get into what the Greek word for baptism means. But Matthew 28 quite simply says this, and we already read this Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Quite simply, why do we do it? Jesus told us to. Jesus told us to. I can't think of anything more convincing than that. Pastorally, if I have to spend time convincing a newborn believer to get baptized, I have red flags, to be honest. If you've confessed that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, and your Lord and Savior has told you to do something, you shouldn't be saying whatever the reason is. In our prayer meeting this week I was joking around about some excuses I've heard in my short time on this planet. See, baptism show the beginning of the Christian life. And if you are unwilling to take that first step of obedience, then should you not, too, have some concerns yourself? It's the first step of proclaiming the faith that you have in Christ. For those of us who watch and hear the testimony of God's work in your life while being baptized, it's also a reminder of the grace God has given us. And you're going to ask yourself, well, what does it look like? And I've kind of hinted about this before. We baptize people by immersing. Simply, we dunk them. We make sure they get wet. And we do that not because we like to be mean. And I don't think it's mean. I think it's a wonderful thing. But because that's what the word means. The word means to dip in or underwater. It means to dunk. The third meaning means to drown. We don't do that. We baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because that's what Jesus tells us to do. And but what does it do? See, baptism is is a public act of confession. It's, a, it's confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. It is an act which in itself brings joy and blessing to the believer. It is a sign of the believer's death and resurrection with Jesus. We see this all the way in Romans 6, 2-5, which talks about how we baptized into Jesus' death. And the Holy Spirit works through such a sign to increase our faith, to increase our understanding of our death to the power and the love of the sin in our lives and deepens us in our new life that we have through Jesus Christ. It is a public act of confession. It is to be done in front of people, as terrifying as that may be. uh, I, I don't... I don't try and sugarcoat it with people. The, the, they're like, I'm scared. Well, yeah. But everyone here loves you. Better than that, your Savior told you to do it. Don't you think that He will be with you as you take steps of obedience? See, baptism is a physical symbol as well. Baptism is a symbol of the death and the resurrection of Jesus and our participation in them. Colossians two twelve says, "Having been baptized with him, in, sorry, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful work of God who raised him from the dead." When we are being Dunked and immersed under the water, and you are coming out of the water. It is a symbol of the newness that has happened in your life. You have been transitioned, you've been moved, you've been plucked out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into a kingdom of light. You are a new creation, the Bible says. No longer does your heart have a desire to sin anymore. Not saying that you don't struggle with it as Dave was talking about. But your desire is now changing. No longer are you loving and and playing in the muck of your sin, but now you have a new desire to to live for Christ and to worship Him because your worship has changed. You want to worship Him. Baptism is an outward symbol of what has happened. It is a physical symbol, but it is also an outward symbol of what has happened eternally. It tells of the inward change that has happened within you. It doesn't save you. It proclaims what has happened already in you. As Colossians 2.12 says as well. So when a person is immersed into water, the actual water serves as a picture of God's judgment for sin. And when they come out, when that person comes out of the water safely, nobody dies this is a picture of having come through eternal judgment safely, and all because of Jesus. <clears throat> it is shown, sorry, it is shown by the washing away of our sins, as Acts 22 says. It shows our, our union with Christ, as Romans six says. It, it shows our transfer from death to life with Christ, as Romans six says are passing through from judgment safely in Christ, as 1 Peter 3 says. I love baptisms. To sit there, oftentimes I'm in there, and I'm very thankful for people who warm the water. <laughs> Hashtag first world problems. <clears throat> to sit there and listen to how God has called people to himself. And it's all sorts of different stories. And all of them are Amazing. I don't care if you are the gang-banging, drug-addict, wife-beating person or the person who grew up in the church and has the most, quote-unquote, boring sermon. They're all acts of God's grace, and all are to be celebrated equally because God has called someone out of darkness and brought him into his marvelous light. All of them. A pet peeve of mine is when we kind of celebritize the quote-unquote better sermons or t- testimonies—they're all acts of God's grace, and it's amazing. There's something unique about the fellowship of the church that God uses to give more grace, and it happens through not only being baptized but also witnessing them happen. They're such a great time, and they're for people who are saved. Because again, it is a symbol of an inworking. It is, it is a symbol of something that has happened inside of you already. As you take that step of obedience, you are showing through the waters of baptism what God has done already in your life. It is for the one who has repented of the sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Baptism is the proclamation of your faith. And as we will talk about in a few weeks, membership is the affirmation of it. But we have to see the pattern within the New Testament. And the pattern is very important. When we see the pattern in the New Testament, we see first thing first, the gospel is preached. Certain men and women understood it. They repent of their sin, and they believed on it. Jesus and God saves them. They were baptized. That's the order. That's just why we call it believer's baptism. Because they have to believe before they're baptized. Because baptism is a proclamation of the faith that's already in their lives. It's the first thing a new Christian should do. You might even say that getting baptized is the first act of obedience to God for every new Christian. Baptism is for those who have repented and believed in the gospel. Those who are leaning into the promises that God has given us through his son Jesus Christ. When a person is immersed into water, the actual water serves as a picture of God's judgment for sin. When they come out of the water, this is a picture of how, of having come through eternal judgment safely all because of Jesus. And we have a baptism class that talks about this more. If you are a follower of Jesus, let me say this as plainly i possibly can get baptized if you have not jesus has told you to the excuses are done get baptized talk to one of our ushers message us online. talk to me after the service we would love to talk to you about it because we believe it's important to explain and to teach, because we're disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ, right? Which means that there's an ongoing process of teaching. We want to teach you why it is important and what the Bible says about baptism. But we have a baptism class. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, if you are resting in the gospel of Jesus Christ and Jesus' promises, let me tell you again, you must be baptized. Your Lord and Savior commands it. But why, mess, why miss out on all the means of grace that come through it? As baptism is the first step of, of the Christian life, there are ongoing acts that Jesus also tells us to do, which is why we bring us to this question of what is communion? What is this all about? What does communion mean? What is it for? Who is it for? See, the Lord's Supper or communion, and I'm probably going to use these words interchangeably because old habits die hard, isn't just an ordinary meal amongst human beings. It's a fellowship with Christ in the presence and in his presence and at his table. It is an ordinance that is to be observed repeatedly throughout the Christian lives as a sign of continuing in fellowship with Christ. It is a time that is reserved for those who believe in the gospel of Christ. And I hope you can see why I say, usually during every communion, I had to ask my wife if I actually said it this week. She said, You did. I'm like, I don't know if I did. But this is why I generally say, if you aren't ready for one ordinance, you're not ready for the other. Communion is a sign of being a Christian and continuing in the Christian faith. Baptism is the first step in proclaiming that faith. But it's also the first step of obedience to the one you profess is Lord and Savior. See, baptism, like I was saying, is clearly a symbol of the beginning of the Christian life, while the Lord's Supper is clearly a symbol of continuing in the Christian life. You see when church discipline becomes an issue or a good thing? One of the dangers within the Christian church is that we give a false sense of assurance. Well, that's not our job. See, baptism is the first step. Communion is the ongoing. But what does it remind us of? Just like baptism, we should expect the Lord that the Lord would give us spiritual blessings as we participate in this supper. That's why it's part of the holy. That's why it's called the, part of the means of grace. It it shows us these things. The Lord's Supper shows us. God's commanded us to take part in this Lord's Supper to continuously remind us of who he is and what he has done for us because we need it every single day. Every single day we need to be reminded, especially as we gather together as the people of God, we need to be reminded of these things. So what does it mean? I got seven things. What does it show us? First thing, it shows us Christ's death. When the, when the bread, we don't break it. They're already pre-broken here. Actually, we don't even do that now. Now we got those cup things. COVID. But when, when the bread is broken, it symbolizes the breaking of Christ's body. When, when they pour out the juice into the cup or the wine into the cup, it symbolizes the pouring out of Christ's blood for us every single time. As a church, we've decided to do it every once a month. Some do it every week. I know some churches that do it once a year. The point is, we're called to do it regularly as a reminder of that first thing, thing—that of Christ's death. When we come together around the table, we are proclaiming, as 1 Corinthians 11.26 says, For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But here's something important to remember. The Lord's Supper reminds us that Jesus' payment for our sins has already been accomplished. So we now eat in the Lord's presence with a great rejoicing. This is why when we come together, I say this is a time of reverence, but not sorrow. It is reminding us of what Christ has done for us through his his death and his resurrection. That one day we will be in the presence of God Almighty and we will have the marriage feast of the Lamb. It is a joyful time. But it also shows us that we are united with Christ. That's the second thing, united with Christ. We have received the benefits of Christ's death. As Matthew 26, 26 says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. As we individually take the cup for ourselves, each one of us is by that action saying, I'm taking the benefits of Christ's death to myself. But as we do that, there's also a spiritual nourishment that comes as we partake in communion. Jesus talks about this in John 6. It also shows us that we are united together as a church, as a family. Because as 1 Corinthians 10, verse 17, it says, Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body. For we all partake of the one bread. When believers come around the table and gather as a family of God, it gives a clear sign of our unity with one another. That's why you should, if you have an issue with your brother or sister, leave it and go deal with it. It is perplexing to me, and I've done this, I know I have in the past, but as I grow in the grace and the knowledge of my Lord and Savior, it is perplexing how we can come to the table, which is a symbol of how we are united together in Christ and have an issue with our brother or sister and not deal with it. But it is a symbol of that. It shows how we are united together. Think about what happens when you put these four things together that we've talked about. How it shows the death of Christ, that we are united with him, that we, are a spirit, that we are being spiritually nourished through it, that we are united together. There's a lot just in this table as we gather together. But wait, there's more. What if I told you that the Lord's Supper isn't just an act instituted by Jesus for us to reflect on the promises and affirmation of our faith but reminds us again and again of even more affirmation? Because the fifth one is this. As we're taking part in communion and the Lord's Supper, Christ is affirming his love for you, for me. I want you to think about this the fact that I am able to take part in the Lord's Supper, or even better, the fact that Jesus invites me to come is a massive reminder of the love Jesus has for me both individually and personally. Every time you come to the table, every time, you are being reminded again and again of Jesus' personal love for you because it shows you the cross. But it also affirms that all the blessings of salvation are reserved for those who confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. When I come to this table... As I eat this bread and drink this cup, I am reminded of what is to come. I'm reminded of the great banquet table of the king. I came to Jesus' table as a member. I come to Jesus' table as a member of his eternal family. When I'm invited to this table, Jesus is reminding us all of the amazing blessings that are not only here on this earth, but the ones that will be. The great marriage supper of the Lamb, as Revelation 19:9 9 says and talks about. This is it's important to guard it. It's just it is it is not just a meal when we don't even have a meal. We just got the little cups with the little cracker thing. I call it a thing because I'm not too sure what it is, but. But when we come together, and we're remembering these things, we're remembering what God has done for us. And it's important to remember these things. It is not just a meal. It is not a poor substitute for a snack, because if you're coming for it as a snack, oh my, it is bad. It gives us a foretaste of what is to come. It reminds us of our assurance of our salvation, as we were just singing earlier. But it also affirms my faith in Christ. When we are taking this cup and this bread, we are saying something very important. I need you, Jesus, and I trust you. I trust you and I need you. Jesus is to be the only one who can, he is the only one who can forgive me of my sins. He is the only one that gives me life and health of my soul. For it is only Jesus' broken body and his shed blood that I can be saved. It's not just a snack as I was thinking about when I was a kid. It means so much more so much more. Can you see the rich meaning behind the Lord's Supper? It's not just something we do every month. It's not just a bad snack. When you, as a believer, participate, you are coming into the presence of Christ. You are remembering that He died for you. You are participating in His benefits of His death, His substitutionary atonement, His propitiation how he absorbed God's wrath that was meant for me. It reminds me of the marriage supper that is about to come. You are participating in the benefits of you are receiving spiritual nourishment, and you are reminding yourself that you are united with all other believers who are participating in this in the supper. Is this not great? So just like like baptism, we should expect the Lord to give us spiritual blessings as we participate in this ordinance, as directed in the Bible. It is a means of grace, and God's aim has been to bring His people into fellowship. And one of the great joys of the experiencing the fellowship is the fact that we can eat and drink in the presence of the Lord. So, what do we do with all this? Why does it matter? Baptism and communion are reminders to us of the grace God has poured out on us through Jesus Christ. And as a reminder, they are reminders that push us out to proclaim to those who do not know him, to a broken world, that there is a Savior who can save, who can heal. See, ordinances are symbolic reenactments of the gospel message. They aren't requirements for salvation, but are visual aids to help us better understand and appreciate what Jesus Christ has done for you. And how he has accomplished his redemptive work. And they are testimonies that we indeed believe in Jesus Christ. As baptism shows the beginning of the Christian life, and the Lord's Supper shows that continuing in the Christian faith, these are two ordinances that are commanded by Jesus Christ, but they are commandments that are given to us whereby we can experience even more grace. Don't miss out on these blessings. Don't miss out on them. And what was what's interesting as I reflected upon this this week is that I know it's been a hard year and i know that for some of you it's even been a hard decades but when i come to the table or when i witness this baptisms i'm reminded of god's goodness that even in the midst of pain and suffering and weariness and brokenness and tiredness and put any other adjective you want there my god is still good and this is temporary one day I will be with the, in the presence of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who will wipe away the tears, where I'll be able to bask in the wonder and awe of who he is. As a finite being, I will be forever learning the infinite. Mind-blowing. And baptisms are remindments of God's grace. And even during a pandemic, have we not had the opportunity to see God's faithfulness and how he has called people to himself? We've had baptisms. I think it's very easy for us to forget that God remains faithful, even when we don't. And I know that as we reflect upon faithfulness, it can be hard. Because when we're reflecting upon God's faithfulness, we quickly see all the hard things in our lives. But God is still faithful in those. And he's still good. Parents, I, I must give you a little bit of caution about even these things, communion and baptism with your children. I, I, I encourage you to protect the meaning of these things. To not rush your child into these things to take the time to teach your child about all of these things so that they can accurately understand them. Because like my parents, they were ultimately protecting me from giving me a false assurance of something I wasn't ready to be assured in. Just be cautious. And if your kids are mad at you, that's okay. It's just the beginning anyways. Right? This is why we're in a church and we got people who are older than us, because they'll just tell you it's okay. This too shall pass. <laughs> right? I'm saying, I'm laughing because I'm a parent of younger children too. But take the time to teach your kids. And one of the, we uh, we have books and tools in our library. I think you can pop that up there. But two of them, we have this one book on baptism for kids. Probably can't even read that. We have uh, one for baptism, we have one for communion. Just walking with your kids through these things. There's actually another book over there about salvation. Just walking with your kids about what is the gospel and what does this mean. But take the time to teach your kids. For those of us, you know what, something? I went back there this week and I looked at our little resource library and I went, my books are disappearing. <laughs> Praise God. People are taking books. So we did have a book on why should I be baptized. And what do, I now, uh, what do I do now that I'm a Christian? Actually, we still have that one. What do I do now that I'm a Christian? Uh, I've ordered more books. And there's something that's very encouragement, encouraging to me as, as, a, as a pastor is that the books are going. I just hope and pray that you're reading them as well. But may you grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord and Savior. Our job is to make disciples, Christ learners, who are being equipped for the work of the ministry. So continue to do that. But those are two books. Why should I be baptized? And what what do I do now that I am a Christian? Baptism and communion are reminders to us of the grace God has poured out on us through Jesus Christ. Next Friday, on Friday we will take part in communion on Good Friday and we're going to be reminding one another of why it is indeed good. Let me pray. Father God, I just thank you for who you are and what you've done. I thank you for these commandments that you have reminded us or have called us to do that remind us of who you are and the grace and the mercy that you have poured out on us through your son Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for the means of grace that are given through them. That how you not only bless us so much with just grace and have called us out of darkness and into your lights, but Lord, you've, you give us ongoing grace. So Lord, I thank you for baptism and I thank you for communion and how they remind us over and over again of who you are. Lord, I pray that even as we continue to worship you, I pray that we would see that constant reminder of how we need you every hour. And amen.